Hello, everybody. Glad you're with us as we continue on in the study that we're doing through the New Testament. And uh, in particular, uh, right now we're in the book of Luke and we'll be in the 12th chapter today of the book of Luke. And um, I wasn't here last week and I don't friends upstairs working with the kids, but Fran did a great job last week. I was here. I listened to it. I just wasn't teaching last week and uh, Fran did a great job. And then on the weekend, I was preparing for next week's uh, service, as most of you know, on the weekend. And uh, Barry stepped in and didn't do Barry. He did a great job, didn't he? He's, he's back there. Barry, you did great, man. Thank you very much. I love the. Uh, yeah, that's good. I love the story he told about the the way that you break a horse is that you get it. You get on it one more time than it than it bucks you off. Wasn't that a great story? And uh, really, and I, I, I said to him, uh, he said, you know, in a couple of years, uh, it's going to be me that grew up near a rodeo. <laughs> it was that good of a story. <laughs> I grew up near this rodeo. Um, we're in the book of Luke, and um, over the last few weeks, the, the focus has been, um, in those chapters, Jesus really urging the people to make a decision that they had to choose. And we, we see that again. And we also saw a shift around Luke 10 somewhere where Jesus primarily begins teaching his disciples more than the crowds. And even in, in Luke chapter 12, the crowds still get opportunities, but it's not the way it was when he started his ministry. At the beginning of his ministry, he was primarily addressing large crowds and um, and yet what we've seen is he's been summarily rejected by the leadership, the religious leadership that's in place. And uh, then by most of the people in the crowds, they've they've been fascinated to watch and they've sort of been hanging out. But um, when they can't make up their mind on on who this is and, and Jesus has even asked the question, well, who do the people say that I am? And some say, well, a great prophet and others, John the Baptist, come back and others, you know, this or that. But, but it's only that small group who, when presented with the question, Peter speaks for and he says, well, you're, you're the Messiah. You're Jesus. You're, you're, you're God. You're the one we've been waiting for. And, and so they get it. And they make their choice to follow. And as they do that, um, Jesus begins to teach them about what the life of a disciple looks like. And so we've been looking at some of those character traits of the life of a disciple, talking about commitment and, and character and some of the things that, that go along with being a disciple of Christ. Well, um, in, in chapter 12, uh, again, there's still big crowds around, and, and Jesus is continuing uh, this, this teaching. But along the way now, we're going to pick up some stories that you've, you've probably uh, heard and the thing that I want you to even start listening for now as, as I get ready to read this passage of Scripture is that most of the stories uh, in, in these next few chapters illustrate um, this concept of, of the difference between a spiritual life and a physical life. And, and that we have to begin to figure this out. You know, the physical life is all this stuff that we can touch and, and that we grabbed on so quickly to. And a spiritual life, which is a little different concept and, and sometimes gets pushed away because of the urgency or the immediacy of the physical life. But as a disciple of Jesus, we have to make the choice to follow him first. And primarily the way it's illustrated is in discussions about money. 
And that's pretty interesting, isn't it? But money often represents the thing that we find most tangible. And so it, it makes this big deal that's going on. And so you'll see that happening in these stories. The other big concept that runs throughout these stories is the idea of hypocrisy, of people pretending to be something that they're not. And that, that these two themes sort of run throughout these next few chapters. So just be looking for that as we read. I want to go ahead and read these 59 verses to you and uh, have you follow along. The, uh, the bulletins were out back. If you, if you grabbed one, you can follow along in the bulletin of Bibles. There's Bibles on the pew. If you brought your own Bible, Luke chapter 12. I'm reading out of the NIV. Uh, so if you have a different translation, obviously it'll be a little different. But uh, however you got it, get the word and follow along. Luke chapter 12. Verse 1 and following. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. And what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after the killing of the body has power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all Numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. I tell you, whoever acknowledged me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge him before the angels of God. But he who disowns me before men will be disowned before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there all I will, st- I will store all my grain and goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds." Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. 
If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, or you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the Lord, for the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, flock for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, exhausted where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. Pardon me. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning. Like men waiting for their masters to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. I tell you the truth, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the second or third watch of the night. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Peter asked, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? And the Lord answered, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose the servant says to himself, My master is taking a long time coming. And he begins to beat the men servants and the maid servants and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and in an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. That servant who knows his master's will and does not get ready or does not do what his master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. I have come to bring fire on the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo and how distressed I am until it is completed. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other. Three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. And he said to the crowd, when you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say it's going to rain and it does. And when the south wind blows, you say it's going to be hot and it is. Hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it you don't know how to interpret this present time? Why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? As you are going with your adversary to the magistrate, try hard to be reconciled to him on the way, or he may drag you off to the judge, and the judge turn you over to the officer, and the officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. And blessed be the word of the Lord. Now, that is a pretty intense chapter of Scripture. And, and it's not one of those chapters that you read and go, whoo, right? But there's some amazing stuff in the chapter that if you sort of hold in the context of what I was talking about, 
begins to make a lot of difference. And let me just comment. I'd forgotten to put this in, in what I was going to comment on, but I read it and I go, I better bring that one up. Um, the, the verse in, in Luke 12:10. this often messes with a lot of people. Everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Have you ever heard that? Most people have, and, and I get a lot of questions on that particular verse. Um, on one of my online sites, I used to take questions from people from all over the world, and that would be the top question. They always were convinced that they'd blaspheme the Holy Spirit and that they couldn't get back. And so, um, what does it mean to blaspheme the Holy Spirit? Here's what I'm confident it means. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is to draw people to God through Christ. And that's the bottom line of everything. And the only way that you can, you can end up in trouble is by not receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's the ultimate thing that you can't get away from. And so um, if, if, if that's the reality. See, at the end of all of this, that's the big question. That's the big deal. That's it. That's who's Jesus. Remember a couple of weeks ago I said Luke is good about asking who's Jesus? Who's Jesus? And if your answer isn't, well, he's the Messiah my Lord and Savior, and He's the one I've accepted and entrusted my life and, and everything to, um, that's an issue. And that's what that verse is addressing. That, that's how we get in trouble. That's what can't, that's, we can't, you can't get past that at the end. If you haven't done that, that's the bottom line issue. And so um, that's what that verse is all about and what's happening there. It's not that, you know, in your mind, because a lot of times people read this and their first reaction is to say, you know, in their mind, sort of, you know, say some swear word and, about the Holy Spirit or something, and then they're sure they're doomed forever. Ah, I've done it! You're okay. As long as you know Jesus, it's all good. All right? So that's that one. The, um, so, so these stories then that I mentioned that we get to see um, and, and, and a lot of them will, will involve money. We, we already saw some in that passage of Scripture. You can see there's this thing about, he begins to make illustrations um, about money. And, and the reason is that it, it, it makes a great illustration of the tension that we live, live in between the physical and sort of spiritual worlds. And um, Jesus' advice is always to give priority to the spiritual rather than the physical. And that's what those stories always mean. And that's one of the big things of becoming a disciple, is beginning to understand what really matters and what's most important. And, and yet it's the struggle that we'll deal with our entire lives because we're very much attached to what we can see and feel and touch. And we're very much um, sort of trained culturally to make that the priority. And that becomes the struggle. That becomes the bottom line. We, we often think that, that life is found in the abundance of possessions. And, and even when I say that, it's not about, and for some it is, how much stuff they have, but, but having to have stuff drives us in a lot of directions because we, we want certain things. And, and if we're not careful, that becomes more important than, than living the life that God has for us and it overshadows it and it's, we, we're not able to make good decisions. And so um, often the way this is determined is by how we get a, a handle on what's most important in our lives. And so um, as disciples, we ultimately need to um, choose to commit ourselves to the spiritual, not the physical, and then 
live accordingly. And with that whole hypocrisy thing, not just pretend to live accordingly. And so this is where things really begin to uh, shape up and take place. And in the first 12 verses then, um, uh, he, he, Jesus begins the discussion. And what happens is, if our, if our focus is more on the physical world um, than, than the spiritual one, and, and let me just you know, say, I, it's, uh, if our focus is more on earthly stuff than on the things of God, um, the first thing that happens is we, we start to become afraid of, um, or, and the word is actually better translated, stand in awe of the powers that can kill the physical body. We begin to get consumed with fear by anything that looks like it might take away from our physical thing that we've got set up, whatever that looks like. And, and, and that becomes what we're most afraid of, see? And, and Jesus says, listen... Um, I can tell you something that's way more important than that. What you need to be in awe of is God, who not only has power to give life, but take it away. And, and, and that seems pretty scary. That if you read that, that, well, that's really scary. And then he goes on and says these amazing things. See, because the power of God is always for you, but you need to recognize that that's the power you need to be in awe of. But the power of God is for you because he goes on and he says things like, listen, about the sparrows, he takes care of them. Certainly he's going to take care of you. Do, do you get it? You, and yet you're all consumed by, I gotta, and how about the lilies of the field? He dresses them, he's going to dress you. He's going to take care of you. He, and that's the promise of God for his disciples. So that we don't have to be so stuck in the physical stuff that we can begin to embrace the reality of life, which is living a life following him. So, so because his power, which is the power we should be in awe of, is what it is, and yet it's always for us. He's always for us and wants the very best for us. And so um, this is the beginning of learning to, to trust and to get our eyes on what matters most. And yet it's a pretty big jump. It's, it's hard. This is, again, this is what we relate to, things that we can touch, see, and feel. This is way more real to us than oftentimes the things of God. And yet the reality is life is always found in the things of God and not in this stuff. All this stuff will be gone one day. Every bit of it. The, all the stuff that we cling to, all the stuff that we sometimes push ourselves to get, that we think we have to have, that life won't work without, all the times that we get taken in by the bombardment of advertising and everything, that, that life will not work for you unless you have the latest of everything. And, and we, we decide to uh, give up what matters most to pursue it, none of it makes it. It doesn't. Now, I'm not picking on stuff. I like stuff too, all right? So it's not a bad thing to like stuff. If you've ever heard me talk about this, it's, it's always, does your stuff work for you or do you work for your stuff? And the moment you're working for your stuff, everything's upside down. You've got to get it flipped back over so that your stuff works for you. And then it's fine. But, but, so, but that's not the issue. It's this priority, though. And as we begin to figure that out, one of, the, my, one of my favorite verses in that chunk of Scripture, it says, you know, as, when we choose Jesus, he acknowledges us in the presence of the angels. Isn't that cool? That's really cool when you think about the spiritual ramifications of that. Hey, boys, he's one of us. Hey, she's with us. That's cool. Okay. So that's where that's going on. So, so it's the power, but the, but the fearful things you need to balance with 
um, you know, five sparrows. He, he's got them. He knows the hairs on your head. Those are those huge stuff about his, his goodness towards you. So the, the awe that we need to have is in the power of God who's able to do it all and not be, uh, which is where we get so often, afraid of everything that kind of happens. And that goes in with this whole ministry of encouragement thing we've been talking about. It's constant fear is what they feed you and a spin on the fear. I got some stuff for this weekend I'm really looking forward to. So uh, I can't share it now because I need to share it on the weekend. But it's a picture of this constant fear that's put on us and, and it's all wrapped in being very attached to this physical world instead of switching our priorities. Now, he goes on in verses 13 through 21, and uh, this, this passage of Scripture is, is often known about, called the parable of the rich fool. And what happens is, is that, that as we just continue on in life, it's very easy for us to get wrapped up in the, the physical, as we talked about, and begin to think it's the most important thing and then, and then we begin to think that, that what really matters is what we possess, what we've got, how much of it we've got, how, how much we've uh, got it straightened out into, so we, we know we've got enough for now and up until then, and we got all this, and this is really good, and, this is, and, then, and if I can have all that taken care of, then I can kick back and relax and enjoy life. That's the parable of the, the rich fool. Because he has his great crop, and he, he actually tears down the barns that he has and builds new ones, so he can store everything. And, he, and he's thinking, if I can just get to that spot then where I got enough of everything, then I can just kick back and enjoy life. And God says, fool, because <laughs> you're done today. <laughs> Who gets your stuff? You know, the, the better realization would have been, I've got more stuff than I can use. I'll keep this much. And then this stuff, let's get the people that can use it. See, that's a better way of thinking. And ultimately, it's God who provides for all that stuff anyway. But the trap that we end up in is we always have to have more. And we, I think a lot of us get that same idea. Well, in my life, when, when, this, when all this stuff is finally lined up, and when I know i got all this figured out for the rest of forever, and then everything's going to be good, then I'll really get to enjoy life. What a, unfortunately, it's a terrible waste of life. Because you almost never achieve that. And if you do achieve it, it can be gone like that. And, and all that time that you've taken making that your priority is time that you really didn't get to live. And you've missed what matters most. And this is the, the change that has to happen in the life of the disciple. The reality of life is it's not defined by what you have. Although culturally, they would like to make you think that. Because that's how they keep you hooked in to the whole machine that needs to be fed. Real life is ultimately defined by your relationship with Jesus... And what you choose to do in response to that relationship. That's where life is defined. Your relationship with Christ and what you do in response to that relationship is where life is found. One of those is encapsulated really well in uh, in that verse that I read, verse 24. I need to put my glasses on and we'll pick it in this next thing. But it says... No, verse 25, pardon me. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Now, we we talk about worry all the time. But you know, we the thing is, when you think about what you worry about, it's almost always related to the physical aspect of life, not the spiritual one. Because if you know Christ, you shouldn't have to be worried anymore. right? He wipes away that worry. 
So everything else is very temporary anyway, and yet it consumes us. And the point Jesus is making is, you spend all this time worrying, what's it do for you? Does it, can, you even, can it add you an hour? And the truth is, not only does it not add you hours, it steals hours away. Because life and hours that you spend worrying are lost hours. And you've heard me tell this too, and, and I read this somewhere, and, and this will freak some people out, but most of you will be okay. 92% of what you worry about never happens. The reason I hate to say that is the really worried among you will go, you mean 8% does happen? So I apologize to whoever those of you are. So, so the reality, though, is if 92% of the stuff that you worry about never happens, you're, you're spending way too much time on stuff that never happens. And it's almost always related to the physical aspect of life. And that's what Jesus is saying. Look, it doesn't, doesn't do a thing, so you need to get your priorities changed. And, and then he goes on, and so he, he, here's what's so amazing. After he teaches, and, and so we're in verses 22-34, that, that it's, life is more than possessions, he goes on to tell them that God will actually take care of all of their needs. He says, so why worry? You've got God on your side. He'll take care of it. He, he will take care of it. Now, sometimes it's not what we want. Sometimes it takes longer than we think it should. And there's lots of caveats to that. But he takes care of it. And we have to learn to trust him in the process, and we can. And so he's in control of things. And as his disciples, when we figure that out, then, then our anxiety levels should begin to subside because he's in control. He knows what you need. He knows what you need. And he's, he's on it. And you know, so many times in my life, I've, I've been at that place where something will happen, and maybe you can relate to this, and I'll start running around trying to fix it, trying to make something happen, and, and it, nothing ever... And I'll finally just go, okay, I can't do it. And it'll almost invariably just show up. Or it'll happen in such a way that you just kind of go, okay, I should have just started there. I hope I can learn this lesson. And I think I'm getting better at it. Something will come up and I'll go, man, that's a big problem. I'm really looking forward to see what God's going to do because I ain't got nothing. <laughs> and I don't have the energy anymore to waste trying to figure it out. So, okay, God, there it is. And he's in it. He's in it. And, and we have to allow. See, part of it is allowing and keeping God in the equation of your life. And that's part of understanding. It's more than this. It's this spiritual life that he has for us and trusting in him. And ultimately what he says in those verses, and, and, and try and think about this, that, that the level of our trust in God will be reflected in how we use our material resources. It's how it works. The, the more you trust in God, the, 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 you will operate differently with your material resources. The more fearful you are about everything, the harder it gets. And that's, that's the point that he's making there. And this is not an offering sermon, and I'm not taking one up. So I'm not trying to pick your pocket. I'm trying to say that the reality of life is that it's a define Why it's used as an illustration? Because it's a great definer. Because the, the, the more you struggle in that area, that means the tighter you're hanging on to what you feel you have control over, and you don't, because it can change like that. And he says this neat little thing, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The rich young fool, all he should have done was what I said. He had plenty of barns already. He didn't need to tear them down and build new barns. Stock up what you need and give the rest to people who need it. Or ask, you know, ultimately ask God how to use it. That's, God, how should I use this? I have more than enough, God. 
Where's the need? What can I do? That's the point that he's getting there. Then in verses 35 through 48, he's reminding his disciples to be alert and that we have to live in this tension that Jesus is coming back soon, and yet we don't know how quick soon is. And so we, we don't ever want to just slip into this, this place of complacency like uh, the servant did when he just started not caring about anything anymore. We're, we're to live like he's coming back today, but, but at the same time living like he's not and staying busy doing what he wants us to do. And then in verses 51 through 59, um, one of my favorite little illustrations. Uh, and, and, and again in this story, there's this admonition to the crowd that they need to choose Jesus. And he's telling them, you look at the weather and you can tell what's happening. And yet all these things are here now in front of you and you can't figure out what's going on. You hypocrites. That's what he says. You see a cloud, you know it's going to rain. You see the wind coming to this, you know it's going to get hot. Here I come, and I, uh, and I, I demonstrate the power and the kingdom and the word of God to you. And you're like, well, oh, I'm, I'm not sure. And, and th- what he says at the end is so good. So the signs of the end appeared. Time is running out for them. That's what he's telling them. And, and the earth is on its way to court to be judged. And that he tells them, now's the time to settle out of court before the sentence is passed. And I like that thought, that... that See, we got this judgment coming against us, but Jesus steps in the way of the cross, and as long as we accept that, we've settled out of court. We don't have to worry about it. But it's time to choose. And, and it's always time to choose. And so that's what he gives us there in Luke uh, 12. I think it's some great stuff. My hope is what you get most out of it is that, that God's love for you is amazing and his concern for you and his care for you, and that, that the, the, we should be in awe of him in our lives, rather than where we allow ourselves to gravitate towards fear, which is in the stuff that's not going to last anyway. Eight o'clock on the button. I'm done. If you're watching by video, thank you for watching. If you're up in Williston, God bless you guys. We'll see you soon. Pray for one another. If you need anything, give us a call or an email. We'll take it from there. But we're going to close here tonight with prayer. If you have anything on those prayer requests you want me to pray for, why don't you pass them up to me, and I will pray for you.